Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so grateful for the thousands and thousands of people that are watching online today. I am so grateful that you've tuned in and are part of this service. And there are some people in this worship center who are here in the flesh. Yes. They are here. And I'm so, so grateful, so grateful for the crowds in both locations. Now listen, three months ago, we began to collect food and give it to Second Mile Mission Center. And we did, and I told you it is crucial that we do this because Second Mile Mission Center was out of food. The food bank was out of food. And now we were in a situation in which they had nowhere to turn but us, but we came through. I told you, all along, week after week, you are giving so many truckloads of food. It is shocking what you are doing. And we, I was so proud of you. I was told officially this week that Sugar Creek Baptist Church, just our church. Now there were other churches that gave food, but Sugar Creek Baptist Church over the course of three months gave to Second Mile Mission Center, and I'm not exaggerating, this is what I was told, gave 100,000 pounds of food to Second Mile over the last three months. That's unbelievable. I'm talking about 50 tons of food. And they were telling me about all that had happened and all the people that were fed. And I was listening to this person who was explaining, but there was a thought that went through my mind. I know you think I'm very strange and this will prove it. There was a thought that went through my mind as I was taking all this in. I am so glad that the members of Sugar Creek didn't eat that 100,000 pounds of food because we would all be so big we wouldn't be able to get through the front door and we would never get back to church. But you did not eat that food. You gave that food away. And when you did, you kept your beautiful physique at the same time. I believe this is the definition of win-win. Is it not? Yes, this is the definition of win-win. You helped so many people. I am told that our members took our food that we've given and gave that food to over 600 families. And that's not all that we did. Our food was mixed in with the, the, the help of other churches as well. And those lines that were stretched out for miles to uh, get food from second mile. And when they would show up, they would arrive at the front. They would get bags of food put in their trunk and off they would go. So much of our food was in those moments, those bags that we gave to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families. And then I'm also told that other of our food went into trucks and went to the worst, the most difficult places, the most impoverished places, people that could not, people that could not drive anywhere. They had no transportation. The hardest places that were going through the worst times. And that food went and took care of hundreds and hundreds of families. I was told this week that our church helped 1,700 families have food during this pandemic. Yay, God. Yay, God. I want to tell you something. You are the most wonderful people in the world. Now, I want to say this to you. Do not bring food this Wednesday to any of the locations. We will not be there. 
We're not collecting food this Wednesday, not collecting food the next Wednesday, not collecting food the next Wednesday or the next Wednesday. Why? We're putting a pause on the food donations for a while. Why? Because the food bank has plenty of food and Second Mile is going back to where it was before. And now you and I, we helped Second Mile bridge over this gap, but now they're back to normal. You can still help Second Mile, and I'm asking you to do it. But they need money now, not food donations now. Why? Because $1 of your donation can buy a whole lot more food at the food bank than it can ever buy at HEB. And they need the money now because they can go further with our money than with our food donations. So I'm asking you, send them money. Help Second Mile out. Continue to bless families around this area. And I thank God for each and every one of you. Over the last three months, we've been with our families more than maybe we have ever been with our families as we've been shuttered in to our homes. Those of you who could work at home, you have been with your family more than usual and it's been fun and it's been fantastic and it has been at times exhausting. Can I speak truth into this moment? There has probably been maybe a one argument or two or maybe more over the course of the last three months. <laughs> I heard a few amens with that. Because we're people, we're normal. And this morning I'm going to talk to you about the subject, how to stop an argument. And some of you are thinking, oh, great, Pastor. Where were you two and a half months ago when we really needed you? Well, the good news is you're going to have another argument coming up, and now you can use this material when it happens, all right? The book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 to 10, talks about the idea of how to stop an argument, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Arguments come from several things. Conflicts come when our wants become more important than they should. Listen to what James says. James chapter 4, 1 and 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires? That battle within you? You want something and you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Fights come from our desires, our wants. But now listen to me. Desires and wants are great. They're good. In fact, they, they get us up in the morning. It's our desires and our wants that get us up and get us to work because we want to earn money because we have needs. And gets us up and takes us to school and helps us to try to get the best grade that we can possibly get in school and to, to try to learn musical instruments and play baseball and get better at it. It's wants and desires and there's nothing wrong with that until the wants and desires go too far. Out of control desires are what create the fights. For instance, when my wants conflict with your wants... The sparks are going to fly. All you have to do is take one little child right there, right beside you, has a toy, and introduce another little child that has no toy but wants that toy, and you just give it a few seconds, and the sparks are going to fly, and then the tears are going to fall. And then we all grow up, and the very exact same thing happens with us. James says in James 4, 2, you want something, but you don't get it. When our wants leave the boundaries that God tells us are healthy, we get selfish 
And boy, aren't we a selfish society. I want what I want. And I want it how I want it. And I want it when I want it. And I want it now. James 4, 1 and 2 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle? That battle within you. Gallup says that of the families that end in divorce, 56% of those that end in divorce end in divorce because of money. Because of money issues. We buy more things. We make more debt. Now we can't pay the debt. And now there's stresses and problems and struggles. And we're jealous of what somebody else has and envious about what somebody else has. And, and now we've got to have it, but we can't afford it. And before long, we're fighting because of the pressures of money. Advertising works so well. It is an exact science. It understands how to show you and I something we've never heard of before and never needed and to introduce it to us and suddenly we cannot live without that. And we immediately go and buy it and then we can't afford it and we go into more debt. Did you know that in America, we have 3% of the children in the world that live in America, but we are 3% of the children that live in the world in America have 40% of the toys in the world. We got so many toys that at the next birthday, the next Christmas, what do we got to do? We got to pack up all the old toys, stick them in a box, stick them up into storage someplace so they have room for the new toys and it just keeps right on going. And we were doing that when my boys were, were little. I understand that the average American family has more television sets in their house than they have people. And if you don't, you are an anomaly. I don't know why the LA Times had decided to, to do this research, but they did a research and they discovered that the average American family has over 300,000 different kinds of things in our houses. We had to buy all of them. And then we have to restore them and we have to replace them and we have to fix them or throw them in the trash and get another. And so many of them are in storage and we never use them. In April, something happened in America that had not happened for, I'm understanding, between 60 to 80 years. I'm not for sure, but that's what I'm understanding. And that is, in the month of April, Americans saved more money in that one month than they had saved at any one month in at least 60 to 80 years. So why did we do it in the month of April? Well, we all know why. I don't know what my finance is going to be like in the future. I got to hang on to every dime I've got. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. The stores were closed, but we could buy it online. But I have decided I'm holding on to my money. And can I tell you that if we did that four out of every 12 months of the year, it is amazing what would happen financially in our homes. And what I'm saying to you is that we need a new normal of wanting less. And that's what James is saying. Second of all, conflicts develop when pleasure becomes more important than it should. And listen to what he says in James 4.3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. There's nothing wrong with pleasures. And in fact, you, you look at history, every culture of all times all had to build 
pleasures into their life. They had songs. They had dance. They, they had holidays. They had uh, special events. Why? Because it is part of who we are. We need something else other than work. We need some kind of sense of pleasure in our life. It is nothing wrong with pleasure until the hunger for pleasure just keeps growing and growing like an addiction, like an addiction to cocaine or alcohol. And now where is the pleasure? I got to have more pleasure today. I got to fill this day with pleasure. I need more pleasure, more pleasure, more pleasure, more pleasure. God did not design life to be easy. How could a loving God let me go through such trouble? God never designed life to be easy. God designed life to be a struggle. Why would a loving God do that? Because with struggle, you and I grow. We grow our muscles with struggle. We go our, grow our mental muscles with struggle. We grow our emotional muscles with struggle. We got to go through difficult times. We've got to go through hard times. We've got to go through barriers. We've got to experience these things because they make us stronger and wiser. They really deepen our lives. They grow us up. Nobody ever grows up if they don't have struggle. You gotta have struggle to grow up. And when we reduce and eliminate struggle and it's all pleasure, you know what happens? Our muscles begin to disappear. Our mental muscles disappear. Our emotional muscles disappear. And this is why sometimes adults act like little kids. We need struggle in our life. Real joy is not dependent upon what happens in our life. It's dependent upon the attitude we choose to have about it. And when a person falls in love with pleasure, I got to have more pleasure, more pleasure, more pleasure, more pleasure. I've got to fill my life with pleasure. That person will end up making choices that compromises their integrity and character and their walk with God. And this is what James is talking about. Conflict, third of all, develops when personal pride becomes more important than it should. Listen to what he says in James chapter 4, verse 6. But God gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me tell you something. Pride is a good thing. It's good to have pride in your physical appearance. It's good to have pride in, in your car and in your house and, and in the things that you have and in, and in your family and in your job and in your country and the things that are in your life. It's good to have pride. It's a healthy kind of pride. But there is a pride that emerges just like desires out of control and pleasure out of control. There is a pride that emerges that turns into an arrogance. And it's arrogance that he's talking about arrogance is the definition he uses is the act of showing oneself to be above. Negative pride is the act of placing ourselves above. Above what? Above who? First, above God's control. God, I do not want you interfering with my life. I'll do what I want. I'll go where I want. I'm going to do, I'm going to uh, have the behavior I want to have. And God, I do not want you interfering with my life. 
It is an arrogance. I want out from under God's control. Look, this all started with little babies, and they began to grow. And what do little babies do? They grow into little children. What do they do? They're always pushing the authority away. Even though they can't survive without that authority, even though that authority is providing their food and their shelter and and helping them and training them and deepening them and helping them to grow up, always pushing on the authority. But there's a day that comes in which that person begins to push on God. I don't want anything to do with you, God. And the Bible says that God resists the arrogant. God resists the arrogant. Negative pride is also the act of placing ourselves above each other. It's the act of pushing someone else down in order to build me up. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10, pride only breeds quarrels. Why? Because when we're proud, we refuse to listen to a position different than ours. And is this what's happening in your family? You have an opinion about this, and your spouse has an opinion about this that is different than yours. I do not want to hear your opinion. Your opinion's wrong. I want my opinion. But the truth is, isn't there some way you could bring the two together and make the whole thing stronger? Isn't there a way you could compromise a little bit with this? Isn't there a way you could meet halfway? And oftentimes the fighting that is going on in a home is because we're not, to, we're not willing to listen to another opinion. I've got an opinion about this and your opinion's wrong and mine is right and I want my way. And isn't this what happens with kids and parents? And isn't this what happens with siblings? And isn't this what happens with our neighbors? Isn't this what happens with others? Here's the truth. Our pride does more damage to our relationships than any other thing. And it's what we're facing on the national stage. An unwillingness to listen to an opinion other than ours. I'm not going to talk about race relations every Sunday because if I did that, everybody would start tuning me out. So I'm not going to do it every Sunday. But I want to speak back into this right now because it fits this passage. We usually take our position on on these kinds of issues on the basis of our experiences. How else can we do it? And then what happens is is that we take our position on the basis of our experience and then then we block out everybody else's and we, we build a rationale based upon our experiences and then we entrench. The problem is, is that when our brother and sister have a different experience than us, sometimes we shut our ears and we refuse to hear their view. And that's pretty much where the country is. I'm not talking about the rioters. Mm -mm. I'm not talking about the rioters. I'm not talking about those people who are burning up cars and burning down buildings and injuring people and even killing people. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the peaceful demonstrators who are just trying to say, would you hear me? I've had a different experience than you. This whole issue is a spiritual issue. 
and it's a sin issue. And Jesus is the answer to this issue. I don't mind you clapping that, that's clapping Jesus. Jesus is the answer to this issue. But the question now is, is this, what's the first step that Jesus is asking us to take? Don't jump to step 10. It is just like reopening as a church. You got to do it in phases. You got to do it in steps. It's, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You got to do it little by little, but you got to start somewhere. So where do we start? I remember Jesus dealing with this very issue and he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy who was trying to trip him up said, yeah, but who is my neighbor? And the end of the story of the good Samaritan is everybody is your neighbor. Everybody's your neighbor. Tony Beasley is the third base coach for the Texas Rangers. Got to have a little baseball in here because we're hurting. We're not having any real baseball. I am so sick and tired of watching 1910 baseball on TV or 2010 baseball. I'm just tired of it. I want real, real baseball. Tony Beasley is the third base coach of the Texas Rangers, and he is a deeply devoted follower of Christ. And he is an African-American man who I really respect. This guy has coached so many of these players and taken them to new levels. And I've had the opportunity to follow that. And here's his statement. Biblically. His first word. And this was a national news story. Biblically. I feel like if we were all living God's word, we wouldn't be dealing with any of this. The problem is a lot of people on both sides of this issue profess to live by God's words, but are violating them. I think it is time that we need to listen to each other, have conversations and come in the love of Christ to understand each other. I'm not talking about being politically correct. I'm talking about being brothers and sisters in Christ and finding understanding through him. Do I hear an amen anywhere with this? This makes sense. He's recognizing it's a spiritual issue. He's recognizing it's a sin issue. He's recognizing that Jesus is the answer. But there is a first step. And I want to make two recommendations that I already know most people are going to blow it off. This is my life as a pastor. But I believe some people will hear me and do it. So for those who have ears, I'm asking you to hear. I want to ask our members at Sugar Creek, you know somebody in this church who is of a different ethnicity than you. And I'm asking you to call that person. We, we can't go and see them right now, but we can call. And I'm asking you to call that person of a different ethnicity than you. And I'm asking you to call that person and just, just say, I want to hear your story about how you see what is happening. And I want to tell you what my story is. And let's just talk to each other. No politics. No politics allowed in the conversation. 
I just want to tell you my story about what I've experienced. I just want to hear your story. I'm asking every one of us, you know somebody of a different ethnicity, would you call them? I just want to hear your story. I want to tell you my story. And then for those who are African-Americans in our church, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I know this is the hardest thing, and I know you might not feel like you can do it, but I'm hoping that you can. I'm going to ask you to go and talk to a police officer. I don't care what the ethnicity of the police officer is, just go and talk to a police officer. He might be one of the police officers at the Sugarland campus or the Missouri City campus. I'm going to tell you, all of our police officers are great people. And at the Missouri City campus, great people, great people. Can I just spend five minutes with you and talk to you a little bit? Can I hear your understanding of this issue? Can I hear how you see what is happening? And can I tell you how I am seeing what is happening? And if it's not somebody, one of the police officers here, I know this sounds crazy, going to a precinct and just asking, can I talk to a police officer? They'll let you do that. Eric Robbins is the police chief at Sugar Land. He's an African-American guy and a great guy. And he is a friend of Sugar Creek. He loves this church. And he would love it if people would come to the Sugar Land Police Department. I haven't asked him about this, but I know he'd love it. To go there and say, could I just spend a few moments with a police officer? I want to hear how you interpret this. And now I want to tell you what my story is. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying is, would we be willing to talk to each other and to hear each other, to swallow our pride and open our heart and talk to another person? Help me to understand. This you, in my opinion, is not an either or, it is a both and. I can support my Christian brothers and sisters who are of a different race and who have different experiences from me, and I will, and I have. And I can also support our police officers who put their lives on the line every single day for you and me, and I choose both because I believe both are what love requires. Out of control is what he's talking about, of desires, of pleasures, of pride. How can we stop arguing then? The first step is to humble and submit ourselves to God. James chapter 4, verse 6 and 10, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. One of the definitions of grace, that, that, that there are many different de- definitions of grace in scripture, but the definition that's being used in this passage of scripture is this one. Grace is God's way of empowering us with the desire and the ability to do God's will. And here's what God says. If you reject God's authority in your life, God says, I will keep you at arm's length. I will resist you. When we are filled with ourself, God resists us. And what that means is arm's length. I will not bless you. I will not answer your prayers. I will not take care of these, all these needs that you keep bringing before me until you humble yourself before me as your God. 
when we humble ourselves to him, he lifts us up and blesses us. So my question is, which one do you want? And when we humble ourselves to God, part of what that means is to submit ourselves. And this is what James is saying in James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves to God. God, I want what you want. I want what you want. And you know what happens? Hear me out because I'm telling you the truth. What happens is when we submit ourselves to God, what happens is that God gives us the grace. He gives us the desire and the ability to do his will. And what results in that is that we now have the grace to be able to humble ourselves to each other. One of the things that we're struggling in the battle, in the fight, nobody's giving ground, is that we don't want to humble ourselves to each other. And so how does this change? It changes by me first humbling myself to God. I want to do what you want in my life. And when we submit ourselves to him, he gives us the ability and even the desire to come and humble ourselves to each other. I'm willing to forgive. I am willing to humble myself. I am willing to restore this relationship. Second of all, recognize the real enemy. James chapter 4, verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The real enemy that we're fighting is not each other. The real enemy that we're fighting is Satan himself. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual darkness in high places. And that doesn't mean government. It means in the spiritual realm. His desire is to destroy your family. His desire is to destroy this church. His desire is to destroy this country. And what we're struggling against is Satan himself coming against him. And he says, I want you to resist him. So how do you resist the devil? The same way Jesus resisted the devil. He obeyed the Bible, not his emotions. He obeyed the Bible, not his emotions. There's a verse of scripture so easy to memorize. It's just half the verse, but if you memorize these four words, you got it. You can keep on going with the rest of the verse. It's great too, but I just wanted to make it easy. Pride leads to arguments. Can you memorize to arguments? Can you memorize these four words? Pride leads to arguments. You can memorize this. Put this in your heart. Proverbs 13, verse 10, pride leads to arguments. And let me tell you something. You put this in your heart and the very next moment when the argument starts, and God, the Holy Spirit, brings back to your mind. You don't remember pride leads to arguments? Comes back to your heart. You know what, God? I have bowed up in pride. I've done it again. I'm so angry. But this is my pride that's keeping us going. And God, I want to submit myself to you. I, I don't want to give myself over to emotions. I want to give myself over to you. And God, I, put, I surrender myself back to you. And you give me the grace to be willing to now humble myself and forgive and get things right. Because you recognize this is a spiritual issue and there is an enemy trying to destroy your family. We 
Resist the devil when we obey the Bible, not our emotions. Four, third, pray about this issue. James says in James 4.2, you want something but don't get it. You kill and cover, but you can't have it because you but, but, well, can't have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you have not asked God. So go to God. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious for anything, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you'll open your heart to God, oh God, I need help. I need help at this moment. And I'm asking you, God, would you restore this relationship? Would you restore my marriage? Would you restore my relationship with my parents? Would you restore my relationship with this other person? God, I need your help. And he says, I'll hear you. You submit yourself. You humble yourself. I will hear you. And I will respond to you in the same chapter in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He will. Would you open your heart to it? He will. Would you open your heart to it? And here's the last thing. Draw closer to God. James chapter 4 verse 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Now how do you come near to God? By the very thing he then says, wash your hands, you sinners. And he doesn't mean 20 seconds underneath the, uh, with soap and water. He's not saying that. He's not talking about putting gel on. He is talking about the things that we are doing. We cleanse our dirty hands of the things that separate us from God. Purify your hearts, he says, you double-minded. One mind for God, one mind for the world. I come to you, go, God, forgive me. When we get our heart right with God, God listens to us. Humble yourself to God. Recognize the real enemy. Pray about this issue and draw closer to God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we acknowledge, oh God, we need you. Oh God, we need you. In our families, with all of this shuddering, and being with each other all the time, God, we're learning more of each other and we're grateful and we love our family. And every so often, we face hard times and struggles and arguments. God, remind us of these truths and bring us back to humility to you and then to each other. God, I pray for our country. We are a nation of immigrants. We're different from any other nation. We're our nation of immigrants. And oh God, help us in this day to swallow our pride and hear each other, listen to each other. In the name of God and the love of Jesus. Father, I pray for our church. We are so blessed with being such a multi-ethnic church. And in these days, may we as Christians be Christians and learning how to hear, hear each other and be kind to each other. Not jumping down each other's throat, but being kind to one another. Giving each other the benefit of the doubt, hearing each other, listening. And we pray this.
In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we want to end this service the way we end every service at Sugar Creek. Uh, We say the purpose statement together, and I'm going to ask you online, you're listening, I'm going to ask you to say it in the room, listening and being a part as well. Would you say it out loud? Here we go. Our purpose is to love and lead all people to life change in Christ. God bless you all. We'll see you. Have an awesome week.